Well, this morning we're going to begin what I've envisioned to be a, um, just a six-week series, so it's not a long series, and I've entitled it Home Improvement, and I kind of joked last week that we're going to get the hammers and saws and haul in some wood, but we're not really going to do that. We couldn't get a contractor to show up anyway uh, right now. But uh, what I want to do is look at six different passages, and as we work through these different passages and stories, to maybe discover some of the lessons that we as families uh, need to have. And some of you say, well, I've already raised my family. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, we're all still part of family, aren't we? Whether you're a young parent trying to get the kids raised or maybe uh, you're, well, like me, not so young and you're trying to just get them out of the house. (laughs) Whoa. Right? Or, or maybe you go, mine are gone, and I don't have to deal with it anymore. Well, but you still got grandkids, right? And you, you still, I don't know about you, sometimes adult kids are more trouble than, than they're worth. But it, anyway, I've been told, so I don't have any of those. Well, I got one, so. Well, in the verses leading up to our passage today, I want to invite you to take your Bible, if you have it with you, and turn to Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be at today. Uh, in the passage leading up to this story, uh, we have... Uh, the mission team of Paul, Silas, and probably Luke, uh, they have arrived in an area that's called Macedonia. Macedonia still exists today, uh, it's, but it's called Greece. It's no longer, it, there's a Macedonian region within Greece. But if you remember the story, Paul and his team had received a, a heavenly vision that's often called the Macedonian call. They'd been over across the Aegean Sea in what is today modern Turkey. God gave them a vision. An angel came and spoke to them and says, come across the sea. And this is the first time that the gospel was ever shared on the European continent. You're going, Greece is in Europe. Yes, it's it's barely in Europe, but it's in Europe, and it is in, in the continent of Europe. And this is the first time it happens. And the outcome of this call was interesting. Uh, the first event that happened where a group of ladies who were down by the river worshiping God uh, heard the, the gospel story and they trusted Jesus and that lady's name was Lydia. We have a class in our church named the Lydia class named after this particular lady. Then after this there was a slave girl uh, who was owned by people and she had the, the, the ability, I don't want to use the word gift, but the ability of divination uh, and uh, she was been able to speak things into the future and see things that were coming. And the, the problem was she was empowered by an unclean spirit. We'd probably, we would we'll just call that what it is, a demon. Uh, and, and Paul cast the demon out of her and she came to know Christ. And during the time she was still there, they, she'd been running around town hollering and yelling uh, that Paul and his company were servants of the most high God and, and, she was creating kind of a ruckus, and the whole thing was a mess. Her change precipitated the story we're going to look at today because she came to know Christ. Her owners, we don't own people anymore, but, you know, they did back then, were so frustrated that they got Paul and his team arrested and put in jail at the city of Philippi. So we're going to look at the story of the Philippian jailer today and understanding that we've all got family. Here was a man who was likely a Roman citizen. He was probably a uh, a veteran of the military as well, and he had a job probably into his retirement of being a warden. You're going, warden's not in the text. No, it's not. It's the jailer. But he was the guy that was responsible for the jail in the city of Philippi. 
his job was to make sure that when people were arrested, they didn't get away until it was time for them to go. Pretty simple job, good retirement job, if you can get it, I guess, if you want to work at a jail. Now, Philippi was also a Roman colony, which meant there was a lot of folks there who were citizens of Rome. This is important to know because it really changes the dynamic of the community because it's not just a local thing. It's an imperial city. It's an important city. It's a valuable city that they have there. And our jailer called a warden in my mind. He would have lived there, and he was responsible for it all. So as we work through the story, I want you to see some things about family that is important So let's begin with verse 25 with the thought, everyone faces difficult choices. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So our story begins, we kind of did the background story, but here's the beginning of the story. Our story opens, it's late at night, it's about midnight. Paul and Silas are in jail, and they're doing what everybody in jail does. They're singing. Yeah, kind of weird, huh? You're thinking, that's not what people do when they go. I've been out here to the prison. I've never heard any singing out there, I'm going to tell you. They don't do that because it's not a joyful place. It's not a happy place. But they're singing and they're praying. They have been accused of creating a a ruckus in town. The owners of this formerly demon-possessed girl were upset who could do divination. By the way, if you don't know, divination is the practice of seeking knowledge of the future by an unknown or a supernatural means. Now, her unknown supernatural mean was a demon. And Count Paul, Paul, that, that Paul had, through the power of the Holy Spirit, cast out of her. And the owner of the girl were ticked, upset, and angry that she was gone, that the ability to earn money off of her was gone. And so they got him put in jail. They created a, a ruckus in town. It was a mess. And their response... These men's were was pretty awesome. Did you see it again? They did what? They were praying and singing spiritual songs. Now, Harold, I'd like to get the playlist for that night. Can you imagine you're in jail? You've been accused of stirring up the community. You've been stirring up the town, and you're singing. And I'm going, what do you sing there? You know, amazing grace, my chains are gone. Well, that wouldn't happen yet, okay? They got chains. They haven't been released yet. So they couldn't sing that song just yet. Plus, it wasn't written until the 1800s. They couldn't sing it at all. But here's the reality. They're in this moment, in jail, in shackles, singing, praying. And the result of this is God intervenes in the moment. Did you see it? God sends a what? You're going, oh, that wasn't God. It was just a coincidence. Oh, no, my friend, this is God working. In fact, the Greek text indicates that it's more than just an earthquake. It's a spiritually motivated one. It's one that changes the moment. This is a supernatural event that God steps in and says, we're going to do something. So this tells me this. God is up to something here. What's he doing? God's wanting to accomplish something here. The aftermath of the quake, the jailer wakes up and sees the doors are open. Now, you're probably thinking, why was he asleep? I want you to catch this. He probably lived right next door. You know, most of our Texas Department of Corrections prisons have got 
residential areas right nearby them. Do you know that? They have housing areas where people who work there will live there so that they're what? Close. If there's an emergency, you can what? Get back over there. In that day, the jailers often lived adjacent to the prison. Now, wouldn't you like to take your wife and kids into that situation, guys? Have the jailer right next door. The pain and suffering right next door. The ugliness right next door. But he looks at the door and it's open and his mind begins to race just like yours would if you were in that situation. You would say to yourself, what's going to happen now? I'm in trouble. I'm responsible for those people. If they're gone, they're going to take out retribution on somebody and I know exactly who it's going to be. It's going to be me. They're going to take me and they're going to do something to me. And so he's then faced with a decision. Now you're thinking, this seems kind of a harsh reaction to the situation, but no, it's not. If you're about to have to face the leader of the area because of your failure, what would you do? See, we're all faced with choices, aren't we? We're all faced with tough choices. Look what his decision is. He's about to draw his sword, or he drew his sword, and he's about to what? Kill himself. You're going, well, that's kind of excessive. I can imagine that this guy has heard the stories. He's seen the outcome of failures from other people and the way that the Romans had really perfected the ability to make someone suffer without dying before they finally die, he's thinking to himself, I don't want to go through that. So I'm going to take my own life. You may not realize, but the concept of suicide is in the Bible, not that it's in favor of it, but it's right here in this story. He's about to take his life. He's faced with a choice to either be killed or kill himself, and he's going to choose what he thinks is the easier way out. He's going to take his own life. He doesn't want to be humiliated. He doesn't want to go through the consequences. Let me tell you something. That is so much like our lives, isn't it? You're going, no, I don't face the moment of trying to kill myself. That's not what I said. We are all faced with choices in life, aren't we? We deal with situations that we go, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know the outcome of this. I don't know the the, 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 the best way forward on this. I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this. What am I going to do? How do I deal with this? How can I? It's a choice that we all face. And sometimes it's stuff that we have no control over. You think this guy had control over an earthquake? Not at all. And yet here he is faced with a situation. I think Paul summed it up well when he said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We all have earned it, haven't we? But the gift of God, the what kind of gift? I love this, the free gift. I love the way the ESV captures the translation. The free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without God, my friend, you don't have the ability to pay the price. You go, well, I could take, no, you can't. Well, I could be good. No, you can't. I'll be more. It doesn't work. We face these situations. We face it in life. The jailer understood the truth all too well, and he's ready to pay his own price with his life. So everyone faces difficult choices. Look at number two, verse 28. We need to be open, though, to what? Hearing truth. We need to be open to hearing truth. I, I, I want you to grasp this concept because so often we, we are not really open to hearing truth anything. We've already got our minds made up. We know what we're going to do. We know where we're going to go. We know what we're going to accomplish. We're going to just take care of it ourselves. We need to be people who are open to truth. Look what Paul says. Paul cries with a loud voice, stop, halt, do not arm yourself. 
for we are all here. How many were in the jail that night? Part of me thinks there were just the two in the story plus a few more. I don't think it was a hundred unit max, super max, okay? I don't think it was this mass. The communities weren't that large. So there were just some folks in there, maybe five or ten at the most. And he says, don't harm yourself. You see, the jailer had made what? An assumption. He made an assumption based on on a door standing open that nobody was inside. Why? Because nobody wants to be inside. And if the door is open, they're going to take the opportunity to get outside. And so he says, it's over. I might as well take my own life. He wrongly believed that they've taken advantage of the door and they've escaped. But in the darkness of the moment, literally and figuratively, these words came as a ray of hope. Please don't overlook the direction he was about to do. He was about to take his own life. But the words of Paul came with the possibility of life. And little does he know how right this is, for his life was about to take a major turn, wasn't it? We know that if you know the story, you go, yeah, this is going to get really good here in a minute. It's already getting good because Paul said what? Don't hurt yourself. We've got something better. There's something better in life than doing that. Paul declares not one of the prisoners have escaped, and everyone is accounted there. And he's thinking to himself, how can you trust anybody that's in jail, right? That's what have been my thought. He hears the word. He hears the truth. The jailer is again faced with yet another decision. You know what that decision is? Do you believe the guy or not? Do you think he believed him? We'll read down in a minute. But did he believe him? If the jailer had looked at the jail door and didn't go any further, he might have made a mistake. But here's what I want you to grasp for just this moment. He is open to what? The truth. If we're going to see things change in our lives, if we're going to see families grow and improve, if we're going to see our families become better, we have to be open to some truth from God. The jailer thought he knew the truth. The doors are open, prisoners are gone, but he was wrong. It's hard to admit that sometimes, isn't it, when we're wrong. So everybody faces difficult choices. Be open to hearing truth. Number three, ask right questions. He could have said... Well, now, tell me how that door got open. That had been, been, been a decent question, right? Uh, why were you in here again? What, what's going on? How do you know everybody's there? Do you know there's no electric lights and it's dark in that room? How do you know? Look at verse 29. The jailer called for lights. And he rushed in. And trembling with fear, now get this, this is a really weird reaction to this whole situation. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And you're going, okay. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So with the act of self-destruction stayed, at least for the moment, the jailer says, let's get some lights. Let's put some light on this situation. Let's take a look in here. Let's inspect the claim. Is he really telling the truth or is he just here? Uh, he's the only one left. With a light brought and eyes on the prisoner, he goes, okay, they're all here. And it really gets weird. The guy who's in charge of the jail falls down before Paul and Silas. And you're going, do y'all catch that? It's just kind of weird. You're thinking, that's not my reaction. If I was a jailer, I would have said, yeah, get the jackals back on it. Let's make sure nobody gets out. 
Let's take care of my job. Let's take care of me. Let's provide for me. Let's do this. I, that's not what I would have done, but that's what they do. They fall down before him. And the men were, it's, these men were, were not like any prisoners he'd ever guarded. They were had a different spirit about him. He's been in town the last few weeks, most likely, and Paul has been preaching the gospel. He has shared the gospel. Silas has spoken to people. We've seen the Lydia and her group become followers of Jesus. We've seen this girl who had a demon possessed run around town. He's from God. He's from God. It was turning up a ruckus. The truth was it was a ruckus, wasn't it? That's the ruckus we need. But these men weren't like anybody. Like I said, he lived next door. He was on call at every hour. And he knew after they had shackled on Paul and Silas that he had gone home and had gone to bed with his family. And then he hears the goings on in the jail. And then all of a sudden these men are singing and praying. He's probably thinking to himself, I wish they would shut up so I can get some sleep. And then an earthquake hits. Wow, wait a second. And these... He, he, They don't pray. They curse people in jail. They don't sing. They grumble. But these prisoners are different. Things are different. The jailer had at least a passing knowledge of what they've been talking about and what they've been teaching and what they've been sharing. And they had heard this formerly possessed slave girl say, as it was recorded in verse 17, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't think he understood the ramification of salvation. I'm not sure I understood the ramifications of salvation when I heard it the first time. Did you? But here they are in this situation. And he asks, knelt down before Paul and Silas, this question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you're thinking, well, all you have to do is profess faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, we grew up in Sunday school. We grew up in Bible school. We grew up hearing the stories in the church, right? We know this stuff. This guy had none of that. He had no background, nothing. His background was polytheistic. He probably worshiped multiple gods. He did some crazy things in worship. And now he's right in front of the people who can give him the answer that he's looking for to be saved. He reveals, listen, what is a foundational truth in the church, a, fa- a truth that we need to grasp and understand. It's a truth that Paul summarized uh, in 1 Corinthians when he said this, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He's starting to understand something a little bit about what's going on. He understood he was missing. So he didn't understand all of salvation. He didn't understand the full concept. He didn't know what it meant. He didn't know all the theological meaning behind it. But he got this. I have a lack. I have something I'm missing that I need. And he didn't have it, but these guys did. He says, I want to know what they've got. So if you ask a question... I've been working on this with some of our kids. If you ask a question, what's the next thing you got to do? You got to listen, right? If you don't listen, you don't get the answer. Or if you've already made up your mind and you're going to make your own answer, it doesn't really matter what they say, right? But we need an answer. 
They need to listen. Listen to what? Great counsel. Look what verses 31 and 32 give us. And Paul and Silas give an answer. I'm not sure which one that answered it actually. I don't guess it really mattered because both of them said it. And you're going, well, there's not a lot of words in that screen. That's not much of an answer. Oh, my friends, we could have a whole sermon series on these two verses. There's so much here. You're going, does he know what time it is? And I want to go home. Yeah, I know what time it is. Don't worry. Here's what they said. You ready? Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. You and your household, your family. You're going, wait a second. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So we've seen that jailer faced with a very difficult choice. He was open to truth. He asked the right question. Now he gets the answer. And you look at it and go, that's kind of a short answer. But can I tell you something? It's a complete answer, and here's why. The first word of the answer is what? Believe. Can I tell you a little something about the Greek language? That's an adequate translation of the Greek word, but it's not a complete translation of the Greek word. You're going, what do you mean? The Greek word that's used there is pistuo. Not important. It means this, faith. Now, we have English teachers in our church, and so we're going to butcher the English language, so forgive me, because we don't have the right form in English for that word. But put the word faith in a place of believe, and you see what happens to your English. It goes out the window, doesn't it? Faith in the Lord Jesus. Something doesn't quite ring, right? So that's why they translated the word believe, because ultimately faith is what? having belief. So it's a good translation. It's just not as, uh, as it could be. Because literally what he says to the guy is this, faith in the Lord Jesus. It's a command. Do something. Do something with what you have and put it in Jesus. Salvation occurs only when faith is present. Salvation doesn't happen just because we like the idea. Oh, it's a good thought, Pastor. Thanks. We'll see you next week. That doesn't work. It takes more than that. It takes faith in Jesus. Faith is the right word. It literally, faith in the Lord Jesus. And so what Paul tells him he do, needs you to do is place your faith where? In Jesus. Well, where had he been placing his faith? I don't know, but I can tell you this. It hadn't been in Jesus. Why? Because he didn't know Jesus yet. And that's the reality for us. If we're going to build a family, we've got to have the starting point, which is what? Faith. Faith in who? I have faith in my family. I have faith in my kids. I have faith in my spouse. Great. How about faith in Jesus? That's where a good family begins. That's where home improvement begins. And so what he does here is he notices, when he does, what he does is notice the outcome is powerful. They would be saved. And it's within his grasp, the entirety of his life would be transformed. Now, catch this. Here's a man who had been part of DOD for years, right? Most of his life, probably. He's lucky to be alive, having fought in Roman military campaigns over his career. But now he's working as the warden of a local jail. Supposed to be a cush job in retirement. Things are changing. 
He's in a difficult situation. He's heard about what happened to Lydia. He's heard about what happened to those women out there at the river that day. He's heard about the girl whose life has been changed, the one who used to be able to predict the future, and now she's different. And he says, I want to know what happened. What must I do to be saved? Hey, listen, he came from a culture not not unlike yours and mine. A culture that says this, well, here's what you need to do to earn God's favor. You need to be good and moral and nice and keep the commandments and do these things and you'll be okay. He asked the question, what, what can I do? And there is something we have to do. It's what? Faith Jesus. Faith Jesus. If we're going to build great homes, if we're going to have homes that are improving, my friends, we've got to have Jesus in the middle of them. So often we just add him on as a side addition to the house. Try to compartmentalize our lives. We have our work life in the week and we have our play day on Saturday and we have our religious part on Sunday. And he says, I don't want just Sunday. He says, I want you to have all of it. I'm reminded of a memory verse we just finished. It says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and faith in your heart. It's the same Greek word, by the way. That God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. You might hope to be saved. That's not what it says, is it? It says you will be saved. In a moment, a life is changed forever. But listen, it's also a family that is changed in this moment. Did you catch that? Because daddy is going to meet Jesus. The family is going to hear about Jesus. And Jesus is going to change not just daddy, but who? The whole family. We want to have home improvement. We want to have great families. We need Jesus in the middle, especially in the daddies, guys. That's where it starts. You're going, no, you don't care about women. I didn't say that. A lot of families are led by women because there's no other option. Women, step up and do it. But the guys need to be the man to lead. Salvation had come to the house of the Philippian jailer. I got to tell you, he didn't understand the ramifications of it. He didn't understand all the impact. He didn't know the outcome. I'm not even sure he didn't think he might still get killed. But his life had changed. His family had been impacted. And there was joy in the house of the Lord today. So we're done, right? One more thought. Because when you meet Jesus, something has to what? Change. Look at verse 33. And the jailer took them the same hour of the night, so it was late, and, get this, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed, what's the word there? Faithed God. So with salvation's process begun, his family life beginning to change, things are getting good. He has encountered the holy divine. Therefore, life can't stay the same. There is no way someone can meet Jesus and stay the same. 
You cannot meet Jesus and remain the way you were. Why? Because the way you were wasn't with Jesus. Life changes when you know Christ. Life begins a new direction. Does that mean you're perfect? <laughs> we know better than that, right? But we do know it takes us in a new direction. A new, and what happens here is amazing, but it's also revealing. The jailer says, I got to do something. Because I met Jesus, I got to do something. What's he do? He takes him where? To his own house and begins to fix the problem. What was the problem? I, I guarantee you, Paul and Silas had not just been arrested, put in, in, in handcuffs and carried to jail. They had been whooped. Whooped? Is that a good East Texas term? They'd been beaten. They'd been abused. They were bleeding. That's why you think, and they were singing in the midst of that? Really? Yeah, because they had Jesus in their hearts. And then he was baptized. We know that the word baptized is literally immersed. Now, what's interesting, one of the commentators I was reading this week says that we got water in two places here. We had water to clean the wounds, and we had water to immerse in the moment. I don't know about you, but that land of verse 33 is a struggle for some people. He and all his family, so they were all just baptized. Listen, there's no place in the New Testament where a person is baptized without there being first faith in Christ. Baptism comes as a result of faith, not to bring faith. And so in this moment, through this conversation, I wish we had more of the story, don't you, that we could hear all the details. I wish I, did he give him the Roman road? Uh, it hadn't written, been written yet, so probably didn't, you know. What did he do? How did he share the gospel? What was the truth? Somewhere along the way, he tells them all about Jesus, and the whole family comes to faith in Christ, and then they are baptized in that moment. Their life has changed indeed. They're headed in a new direction. He's no longer a prisoner to sin. You're going, he wasn't the prisoner. He was the warden. Oh, no, my friend, he was the prisoner. And he's been set free. Oh, he's still a jailer, listen, but he's a saved jailer now. His name has been written in glory, right? And he can say, Jesus, you're mine. Think back to the encounter between Jesus and the man who was possessed by a demon who lived in the graveyard. Do you remember that story? It's one of my favorite stories of Jesus. I've had the privilege of uh, being on the ground below the cliff where this story happened. And, and so in my mind, I, I see the place. You remember the story of Jesus and his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, got over to the East Shore, and there was a guy living in the tombs out of his mind. It was crazy. He was, the, the, the town was so afraid of him that they made him live out there. Oh, and by the way, he, he was buck naked, okay? Because he, he kept throwing himself in the, in the fire. He'd burn himself. He just crazy stuff. And Jesus cast the demons demons out of him. There were multiples, is what the story tells us. And they went into these pigs. You remember that story now? The pigs usually is, the, is the, the kicker. And the pigs go, well, we don't want demons any more than anybody else. And they did what? They jumped off the cliff and drowned themselves so they wouldn't be alive any longer. You're going, man, that's crazy. At the end of that story, we come to this little verse that I want you to see because here's the report of what happens when a person meets Jesus and life has changed. The people from town came out to catch him, to see him, not to catch him, to see what he's doing. And they'd heard something had happened. They said they went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, that's a big deal, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. You see, when Christ comes into a life, when a person's heart is changed, there's a new direction. There's a new attitude. There's a new life. 
person touched by the power of Jesus will never be the same. And what's important will be, will be different to them. Actions that were going to be done won't be done. Things that they would do, they won't do. Things they wouldn't do, they now will do. And your family, when that happens, my friends, will be impacted in powerful ways. And home improvement begins. People say, we just need to get nicer and better and more moral and treat each other better. You really want to find that? Let Jesus into your heart. That's where home improvement really begins, by trusting Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together today and and to look at this, this odd little story of the Philippian jailer and how your truth changed his life. Father, we never see him again in the scriptures. We don't know the outcome of the story. We don't get to hear anything else. But Lord, church history tells us that he went on to be a part of the church at Philippi. And he made a difference in his community. Father, we thank you so much that your gospel is real. That your gospel offers new life in a way that religion never can. We pray your spirit to just be with us as we go through the next few moments. Father, those who need to respond would do so as you lead them, whether it's publicly or privately. Father, for many in this room who know Jesus, the question isn't, do I need to trust Christ? The question is, will I live for him and let him change my life in a way that blesses my family and those around me? In your name we pray.